Before leaving Asia, the Apostle Paul gathered the elders of the church in Ephesus and he gave them this departing command. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So Paul's command to the elders was a solemn one. He tells them that the Holy Spirit made them overseers to care for the church of God. Another translation is that the Holy Spirit made them overseers to shepherd the church of God. All throughout the Bible, the, um, God uses the imagery of this shepherd watching over his flock of sheep to symbolize God watching over his people. And in the New Testament, Jesus and the apostles use the same language to describe how elders should care for the Christians in their church until Jesus returns. And the word for elder in the New Testament is also translated as pastor or bishop or overseer. They all refer to the same position. So here at Cedar Home, the elders of our church may also be called pastors or overseers, and they are selected by vote of our church members. For many North American Christians, the biblical concept that God has appointed leaders to oversee them is problematic. North Americans are fiercely individualistic. Many people rebel against the idea of authority in general, let alone in matters of faith. And there are many reasons for this. But the reality is that many American Christians do not want to be accountable to a local church body, let alone to the elders of a church. And adding to this is the fact that many churches have made the concept of eldership very unimportant. Some churches are so desperate for someone to lead that they don't even look at the biblical qualifications for elders. They're just thankful to have a warm body leading. And additionally, our society has perpetuated the idea that the church is primarily, primarily a place to go to, to be uplifted, to be entertained by pastors and other speakers, and to be then done with until the following Sunday. And consequently, for many Christians, being part of a church is not a very different experience than going to a movie once a week. And honestly, many people don't want to be known by the church or by its elders. They prefer to hide in the crowd, get their church fix, and leave as quickly as possible. Thus, being personally known and cared for by a local church and its elders is not a part of their experience. And to add further complication, for some of you, the topic of elders watching over you is painful for you. Many of us have been hurt in churches by the words and actions of its leaders. Maybe you attended a church where an elder disqualified himself from ministry by engaging in some type of immoral activity. Or maybe you were part of a church with elders that you felt were too heavy-handed with their authority. Maybe they mingled in the details of people's lives in a way that went beyond the bounds of Scripture. And if those types of situations describe yours, I am very sorry. And I'm proud of you for being here today, despite what you've been through. And on the flip side, elders are just people, too. That yeah, they're called by God to serve the church and to be an example for other Christians, but elders are sinners and mistake makers just like everybody else. 
And elders need forgiveness too. And elders also have been hurt by people in the church. So according to God's word, how should local churches be led? Well, the interesting thing is that even when you read all the Bible passages about unfaithful church shepherds, God never abolishes the church's need for shepherds. And so the solution to the problem of unfaithful shepherds leading churches is is not to have no shepherds, but to have shepherds who demonstrably love God and love his people well. And this is what Paul was explaining to the Ephesian elders. Yes, Jesus is our great shepherd. He is the ultimate overseer of all the souls of his people. And at the same time, until he returns to earth, Jesus has chosen to shepherd his people on earth using under-shepherds. And so this morning we're going to look at this more closely as we, as we explore Paul's instructions here to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, 17 to 38. Um, if you're new here, we've been going through this book of Acts, and this is where we are today. So if you have your Bible, please open with me to Acts 20, verse 17. And as we read what Paul said to these elders, you'll notice that Paul's speech sounds a lot like what he says in the epistles he wrote, which actually makes this passage really difficult. I believe that Paul preaches a lot of messages in Acts, and this is the only one he preaches to Christians. And so basically it's like an epistle. There's a lot in there. So because of that... um, it's a, it's, it's a lengthy speech. He touches upon several different topics, and we're going to plan to look at this over the next three Sundays. So before we, we read this, let's ask the Lord to help us. Lord, we, we thank you for being our great shepherd. We thank you for caring about us. Thank you for knowing us personally. Thank you for shepherding us. And thank you for laying down your life to rescue us, Lord. As we read your word today, we just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would teach us whatever you want us to learn today in our heads and in our hearts. As we read your word, we ask that you would give us a greater vision of your majesty and of, and of the awesomeness and the wonderfulness of your gospel. Lord, please help us to look after one another with the same love and concern that you look after us. I ask that you protect us now in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. Acts 20, 17 to 38. Now, from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and faith and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, 
nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all these things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. <clears throat> the pages of the Bible have a few notable goodbye speeches from a shepherd to his flock. In the last chapters of Deuteronomy, Moses gave his departing speech to the Israelites before his death. At the Last Supper, Jesus gave his departing speech to his 12 disciples. And here, Paul gives his departing speech to the Ephesian elders who he spent a lot of time with and who he loved a lot. And because it's his departing speech, it's, uh, we, we know that Paul is telling them the most important things that he wants them to know, right? And his main charge to the elders is in verse 28. That's the big idea of the whole passage. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So Paul tells the elders that shepherding is a very, uh, very serious responsibility because who made them overseers? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit called them to serve his church this way, and their calling was then validated when the church elected them to shepherd them. So what that means is that elders are accountable to the Lord for themselves and for how they shepherd their flock. And Paul continues that the elders must pay close attention to their church because why? Because it is the church of who? The church of God. It is God's church. God owns the church. God purchased his church his people with his own blood. It's past tense. He obtained the church. Jesus did not lay down his life on the cross and bear the wrath of God towards sin, hoping that people might trust in him and be saved, hoping that people might become the church. No, this clearly says here that God purchased a group of people with his blood. 
God obtained his church with his own blood. That's why Paul later writes in 1 Corinthians 6 that our bodies as Christians, our souls don't even belong to us because we were bought with a price. If we are God's people, then we belong body and soul to God. So Paul's admonition there is, he's, well, he says, therefore glorify God in your body. So that means our body, our souls, our families, our jobs, our homes, our bank accounts do not belong to us. They belong to God. And we are now to use them to obey him and to bring glory to his name. And the leaders of the church must love God's people because God bought them with his blood. What does that say about how God feels about Christians? God did not spill his own blood unto death for people he does not dearly love. Christian, God loves you dearly. And he most certainly loves all people, but he loves his church with a very particular affection and devotion. And so may that affect you and me. May may the Lord help us in our dealings with one another in the church to see one another and to treat one another as precious, blood-bought children of God. Now, if Paul's main charge to these Ephesian elders was to pay close attention to themselves and to his blood-bought church, then their next reasonable question would be, how are we supposed to do that, right? And, And that's what Paul further explains in this whole speech. He essentially tells them, shepherd your church the same way that I shepherded you. And the first thing Paul tells the elders is to pay close attention to who? themselves. In order for elders to pay attention to the church the way God wants them to, the elders must first pay close attention to their own lives. This is uh, Paul's consistent teaching in the New Testament. He wrote the same thing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.16. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. There's a classic book uh, for, for, for pastors, which I recommend um, for pastors to read. It's called The Reformed Pastor, and that was written in the 17th century by a pastor named Richard Baxter, who was an, really was an incredible shepherd. And what's interesting, though, is, you know, you kind of as a young pastor, you're getting into this book. It's like, okay, I'm going to figure out how to shepherd people. And then the first entire half of the book is about why it is crucial for the elder to first pay attention to his own life because the pastor's spiritual condition directly affects the church. Pastor Robert Murray McShane said in the 19th century, my people's greatest need is my personal holiness. And Pastor Jason Halopoulos explains what this must look like for pastor elders. I've summarized this a bit. He says, Oh dear pastors, examine your heart daily. Seek to root out sin and fan the flames of righteousness. Never teach or preach anything that does not first move your own heart. Practice daily prayer, scripture reading, and memorization for your own personal life in Christ. 
Pray that the Lord would give you a true view of self so pride would have no seat, lust would have no allure, greed would find no ground, and slothfulness cannot lounge. Even as you seek to see others conform to the image of Christ more and more, so you must labor to see it realized in your own life as well. Nobody wants a beat up, worn out, sickly sheepdog watching their flock. We want strong, healthy, courageous sheepdogs, eager to work, gladly willing to lay themselves down for the good of the flock. So what that means is elders must do their part to maintain a vibrant, personal relationship with Jesus Christ first. And then after telling the elders to pay careful attention to themselves, Paul tells the elders to pay close attention to all the flock. He tells them to shepherd their church the same way that he shepherded them. And if you're familiar with the New Testament, you know that this is consistent with Paul's teaching, where he says, look, remember what I did. Look at my example. Remember my example. Okay? And so Paul here summarizes how he shepherded them. And basically, uh, he shepherded them in, in five different categories, as I see. And this morning, I want to talk about the first category. And next Sunday, I want to talk about the other four categories. In the sermon after that, I want to talk about how this looks here at Cedar Home. So let's look at the first way that Paul shepherded the Ephesians according to this passage. Paul served the Lord by living among the Ephesians with humility, tenderness, and courage. Let me say that again. Paul served the Lord by living among the Ephesians with humility, tenderness, and courage. Acts 20, 17 to 19 says, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. So the first thing to notice here is in verse 19, Paul says that by ministering to the Ephesians, Paul was serving the Lord. See how that, that's how verse 19 starts. Paul's primary goal in his life was to serve the Lord. And I don't know if you ever get tired of, of serving the people around you. Maybe you get tired of doing the same chores over and over again. Or, or maybe you get uh, discouraged because you feel like nobody else is helping you. Or maybe you get tired of serving people because they don't deserve to be served. Well, if you follow Paul's example and make your primary goal to serve the Lord, it will change your whole outlook on serving others. Because it means that we no longer need to fret over the people we're serving or how we are serving them because our service is not primarily for them. It's primarily for God. It's secondarily for them. And so it's, it's so much more motivating and meaningful and life-giving when we realize that we are serving the Lord when we serve others. Colossians 3, 23 to 24 says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And when we understand that we're serving the Lord, when we're serving others, no task is too humble for us. 
We're not stacking chairs. We're stacking God's chairs. We're not mowing the lawn. We're mowing God's lawn. We're not cleaning up bathrooms. We're cleaning up God's bathrooms. We're cleaning up the bathroom like, I want to clean this as if Jesus lived here. I want to do this for the glory of God. We're not merely giving our money to the poor. We're giving money to God. And this sort of God-focused mindset is what spurred Paul on to serve others 110% because he was glad to serve the Lord in what he did. And so how did he serve the Lord in Ephesus? He says, by living among the Ephesians with humility, tenderness, and courage. Let's talk about that one phrase at a time. First, Paul served the Ephesians by living among them. In Acts 20:18, Paul tells the Ephesian elders, I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Here, Paul is describing a very important model of ministry called incarnational ministry. If you are a leader in the church or home, this applies to you. Incarnational ministry means pursuing people, caring about individuals, and doing life alongside them. Let me say that again. Incarnational ministry means pursuing people, caring about individuals, and doing life alongside them. Maybe you've heard the saying that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that is very true in my experience. God's shepherds first need to be pursuers of people to do incarnational ministry. This means they need to go after stray sheep. They need to seek out the sheep that are close and they need to reach out to new sheep. This is is one of the reasons we want our guests to fill out the connection cards because we care that you're here. We want to reach out to you. Uh, We want to hear more about you. We want to get you connected with the other Christians here. And I'll be point blank honest. My intention is, is, is not to have you be somebody who is here just for one hour a week. My intention is to get to know you personally and to figure out how we as church elders can encourage you in your faith, come alongside you as a church family, help disciple you towards Jesus Christ, and unleash you with the God-given talents that he has given you to serve him in our church and in our community. So if you're looking for a church where you don't participate, this probably isn't the church for you. There are a lot of churches out there like that, but we wanna do, our goal is to do church the way God says (laughs) in his word. And so we we want to spur you on because you're, you're gifted people. God has given you gifts and desires and experiences, and he wants to set you loose for his glory. In addition to pursuing people, elders need to care about individuals. Not sure if you've ever received a phone call or an email from a teacher or a coach or a leader that you look up to, but it means a lot when that happens to know that they took time, they were thinking about you, they checked in on you, I'll never forget uh, what one of my favorite mentor pastors used to do um, at his church in Denver. He stood at the door. I'd never experienced anything like it. He stood at the door as people left the church and he gave every person a hug. And that was maybe 20 years ago and, and maybe, maybe that's not cool anymore in our culture. I don't know. Or socially appropriate, PC, whatever. 
But he was not the most incredible speaker. He was not the most strategic or inspiring leader who had it all together and said, this is how we're going to run the church and do everything. Tell you what, but he was a shepherd who loved his people well, and his people knew it. And that's what mattered most to them. And by the time I left the church, he had 1,500 people in that church. He loved them. And I texted him this week. And I said, hey, man, I'm preaching this passage, and I just want to thank you for being an example in my life of what it looks like to love the flock faithfully. I also remember my 10th grade history teacher, Mr. Horn, who, who saw me in the hallway my first week of high school, which is kind of a nerve-wracking week. That's when we started high school in, in Wyoming. It was 10th through 12th. And he called me by my name. And more than that, he, like, he took a minute to talk to me, like outside of class, just to learn about me, just to hear my story. He, and, I, and he was a Christian. <laughs> and he ended up being one of my favorite teachers. And it all started because he cared about me as an individual, and he called me by my name. And in addition to caring about individuals, incarnational ministry also means doing life alongside the people you're leading. And since this passage is about elders, let's apply it first to, to them. Being an elder is very different than being a council member or a public official. I think it's very important for churches to know that. It's different than being part of a union. It's different than... Than, than, than being part of a city council. Those are important things, but it's not what being an elder is. The work of the elder is, is not to show up to a few meetings every month to help the lead pastor make decisions. The work of the elder is to be a shepherd of God's flock seven days a week, making phone calls to check in on people, helping people through difficult situations, being at bedsides in the hospital. Past few weeks, I've done a wedding and a funeral. It's a privilege to be with people in those most precious moments of life, encouraging people, showing up, sharing life with people. And that's hard for many elders, right? Because many elders have full-time jobs also, or they're retired and have full-time jobs doing other things. So what's clear here, though, is that it's obvious elders need to love people. They don't need to be extroverts, but they need to really care about people. And we will take, I will take, I think God will take, but would prefer humility and character and genuine love inside elders over talent any day. That, that's the reality. And for me personally, I would way rather sit under some pastor who's 90 years old and is boring, who is godly and who I want to be like, than to listen to some 20-year-old who isn't godly and who just wants to make me laugh the whole time. I want a leader I can follow. That's how I feel as, as, as a church member. Um, I have a book about eldership called They Smell Like Sheep. And I love that title because it's exactly right. Shepherds should smell like sheep because it means they're living in the middle of their flock. Just like we saw these, these dogs do in this video. Shepherds don't take care of their flock by staying in the safety of their homes while the sheep stray through the wilds by themselves. Now, a good shepherd lives among its sheep, walks with its sheep, 
and keeps an eye for his sheep. Keeps an eye out for his sheep. And the best practitioner of this, of incarnational ministry, was Jesus Christ. And this is the exact language used in John 1.14 where it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory, glories of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus became flesh. He incarnated himself. Incarnate means in the flesh. Jesus left heaven. He added to his divine nature, human flesh, and he became God incarnate. And then what does it say? The word became flesh, and what did he do? He dwelt among us. And I love this phrase. Literally, the Greek says, Jesus set up his tent among us. He's here to camp out with us. He's here to be with us. And during his public ministry, what do you see Jesus doing? Pursuing people, going to people, caring about individuals, and living life with a group of people, his disciples. And Paul did these things too. This was how he ministered to the Ephesians, by living among them with, and he says three traits, all humility, with tears, and with trials. Or you could say that Paul served the Ephesians with humility, with tenderness, and with courage. These are three attributes you want to see in the leaders of a church, humility, tenderness, and courage. And as we've seen in Paul's ministry so far in the book of Acts, the gospel um, correctly understood and applied to our hearts by the Holy Spirit makes us humble. The gospel tells us we deserve nothing good from God. Our eternal salvation, our families, good food, our possessions, our ability to even serve the church is entirely a gift of God's grace. Receiving God's grace instead of God's punishment ought to humble us. And the Apostle Paul writes to elders, oh, excuse me, the Apostle Peter writes to elders in 1 Peter 5, 1 to 3, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Peter commands elders to be the opposite of domineering, which here he says is to be examples to the flock. And what kind of examples are the opposite of domineering? Examples of humbleness and servitude. We've also seen in Paul's ministry how the gospel produces tender-hearted leaders. Several times in this passage, if you look at it, the key words in this passage, Paul tells the Ephesian elders he ministered to them with tears. He wasn't hard-hearted toward people. He really, he truly actually cared about people. He really wanted them to put their faith in Jesus Christ and be saved. He really wanted to protect them from spiritual dangers. He was a broken-hearted evangelist. He didn't love to proclaim to people the reality of God's wrath. 
Rather, with a tear in his eye, his heart broke with concern for people as he pleaded with them to turn away from sin and to turn to Jesus for salvation. God wants elders and, and, and people in the church who are tender-hearted. Church members need to be confident that they can approach their leaders the same way they can approach God without fear of condemnation and with confidence that their leaders want the best for them. Finally, we see in Paul's ministry that he had supernatural courage amidst many trials. Many, many people opposed Paul. Many people attacked Paul, verbally and physically. Many people physically beat him. They took him to court. They they put him in prison. But Paul faced all his sufferings courageously by the grace of God because what drove him to do that? He wholeheartedly believed that Jesus and the gospel were worth whatever may come. And he believed that he didn't own himself. God owned him. Do you know how, on a pastoral note, how much more comforting is that, could that be to you as you, as you head towards your own death? What's gonna happen to me when I die? You don't own yourself. God owns you already. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? He's just gonna, he's just gonna take you home to him. It's not like you're going to have to figure out what am I supposed to do or what's going to happen to me. Listen, if you're in Christ, you're his. Body and soul. That's my one comfort in life and death that I'm not my own, but I belong to Jesus Christ, body and soul. Paul says here that he did not shrink from speaking God's truth. And even though he experienced seasons of fatigue and brokenness in ministry, he never gave up on Jesus or on the mission that Jesus had given him. And this is, by God's grace, what we need to do as Christians. And and this is what we need in our church leaders. A ferocious loyalty to Jesus, to his gospel, and to the scriptures. And at the same time, demonstrable humility and tender hearts. Paul served the Lord by living among the Ephesians with humility, tenderness, and courage. Next week, we'll look at four ways, four additional ways that Paul shepherded the Ephesians so that they would know how to shepherd, uh, so that the elders would know how to shepherd their church. Christ, God obtained his people with his blood. Think about that for a minute. He obtained you with his blood. You're his if you're in Christ, if you trust him. If you're not in Christ, turn to the Lord today. Put your faith in him and be saved. This is the meditation we want in our hearts as we ask the communion servers to come forward because we're gonna take the Lord's Supper together today. Um, And as we do this, let's just, uh, before we take communion, have a minute just to be quiet, to talk to the Lord who's listening. If, if you're a Christian, take this opportunity to confess your sin to the Lord as the Holy Spirit leads you to. Resolve to turn away from your sin and to turn to Jesus today and thank him for being the great shepherd of your soul who loves you and who laid down his life for you. Let's have a few minutes of, of silent prayer here.